0: Galatians 4, Genesis 24, Hebrews 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we dig into your word tonight, give us insight. For our passion and desire is to know your word, to learn it, and to live it. But we need the power of your Holy Spirit. Some of us in this room are wrestling with family struggles, work struggles personal struggles. So would you use your word tonight to guide us into all truth? In Jesus' name, amen. You'll see it on the screen, Matthew's Gospel 22, verse 32. Jesus speak, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I find it amazing that Jesus refers to these three men. They're known as the patriarchs of our faith. Before I dig into them for just a moment, I have a question for you. Does anyone out there have a family struggle going on right now. Like you got some family issues going on. All right, is anyone? anyone? OK, uh, this side, anyone uh, if you guys. all right, how many of you have had a family struggle? How many of you were the cause of the struggle? <laughs> Someone over here went, not me. It's my cousin. She did it. It amazes me. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three names that Jesus pulls out of the hat. It amazes me because they had more family issues. In fact, people always say, raise kids the Bible's way. Don't raise them the way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob raised them. We've got to learn from Jesus and how our father raised us. He exposes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the way that they raised their kids. And I'm thankful that the Bible exposes the issues of the patriarchs of faith. And then Jesus doesn't pull them out of the hat. He's, well, they are the exhibition of God's great grace given to us. Now I have another question for you, though. In the midst of your family struggles, we see the decisions Abraham and Isaac and Jacob made. I wonder if you will choose to handle your family problems the way that they did, by feelings. Or will you choose to handle your problems by faith? It's amazing how much we know about Abraham And amazing how much we know about Jacob. Yet it seems that the Bible is very slim on information as it pertains to one of the patriarchs, Isaac. The son of Abraham, the father of Jacob. In fact, many theologians refer to his life as one that simply circulates around Abraham's story and circulates around Jacob's story take a look at the screen you'll see an image that I uh, one of our graphic artists produced for us so that we can see Abraham and Jacob and then we've got this little teeny sliver of a slice known as Isaac who only acts as an interlude between the great Abraham and the great uh, uh, Jacob now there's a few things that we know He's the promised child of Abraham. And his life seems to just circulate around the very fact that he's the promised child of Abraham. Now, his life actually shadows Abraham in a way because Abraham gave his wife to the pharaoh of Egypt and Isaac gave his wife away to Abimelech. There's nothing like leading by example, both positive and negative. And then he's the father of the Jacob who was called Israel. And out of Jacob would come the 12 tribes of Israel. But Isaac deceived Abimelech by telling Abimelech that his wife, Rebekah, was his sister the same way his dad did. And Jacob would become a deceiver just like Isaac. Once again, parents, your kids will follow your example. If you're using naughty words in the house, you can't have your kids get in trouble at home when they say naughty words at school. They're going to follow your example. But according to the Apostle Paul, Isaac's life is more than just a sliver, his life symbolically represents something more than himself. It's Galatians chapter 4. Let's pick it up there in verse 21. Galatians chapter 4. I ask you to turn there. Let's pick it up there in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you who want to be legalistic, got to dress like that, look like that, be like that, do you not hear the law? So let me tell you what's in the Bible, he says. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bond woman, was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, these two sons, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. In other words, he's pulling out of Isaiah 54, relating it to Hagar and Sarah, who Hagar was able to give birth and Sarah wasn't. But then Sarah was, and out of Sarah's womb, Isaac would be born, which would give birth to Jacob and now the nation of Israel. Now we, verse 28, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it's now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Paul's making it very clear. I know that the Jews are persecuting Jewish believers. He's making it very clear. It's the same thing that happened all the way with Ishmael and Isaac. And what Paul is doing is making Isaac's life symbolic. And he's making a point. He's making a point that we are free from the law, we're free from legalism. And now we live by the law. Of the Spirit. You see, Isaac was born from Sarah. Sarah was free. Ishmael was born from Hagar, who was an Egyptian slave. And Paul is trying to get across the point. We're of the free woman. We don't live by the law. We live by the law of the Spirit. Now let me explain. The law of the Spirit, this word law, it's the rule of life in the Spirit to make us righteous. It's the way that God makes us righteous today by the power of His Spirit. Let me do a comparison. The Spirit of God is within us. Changing us from the inside out. The law was external with a set rules and regulation. It was a written code, but the Spirit of God has written on our hearts. The Spirit guides us and He convicts us internally, but the law was simply on Ten Commandments, something that you read but had no impact. The Spirit. Not only guides us, but he empowers us to do what Jesus asks us to do. But the law has no power. Spirit is how we live today. This is why being legalistic is so detrimental to the body of Christ. Because the law has no power to change you from the inside out. Change has to happen from inside, according to Jesus. And Paul is using the birth of Isaac symbolically to let us know we are free from the law and now we live in the Spirit. Some of you are listening, going, Who's Hagar? And who is Sarah? And Ishmael? And Isaac? Like, what is this whole deal once again? Paul is assuming, just like the writer of Hebrews, that we've got a lot of Old Testament knowledge. So what I want us to do tonight, we're going to go all the way back to Isaac's birth. To understand. So why don't you find your way in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. We're not going to begin there. We're going to begin a few chapters earlier, but I think it's wise that you land in Genesis chapter 24. Let me explain. Sarah is 89 years old and Abraham is 99 years old. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Abraham and says, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Sarah goes... (laughs) She busts out laughing. She's past menopause. Like, she hasn't dropped an egg in years. And she knows it. She knows it. I'm just making the Bible real. Come on. And she knows. She laughs because... I mean, all Abraham has to do is take his clothes off and she laughs at him. (laughs) Like, there ain't nothing that's going to happen. She laughs. But sure enough, God, (laughs) come on, come back. God resurrected her dead body and Abraham's dead body. And she delivered Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old. He's a great, great, great grandpa, and he had his first child, second child. Now, Ishmael had already been born to Hagar at this point. She was the Egyptian slave that Sarah convinced Abraham, go ahead and sleep with her, and then she'll have a child, and we'll just pretend that the child is mine. Abraham was like, sure. I mean, if you want me to, great. I'll do whatever you want, right? Right. Things don't go so well when Isaac's born. And when Isaac's around 12 years old, in Genesis chapter 21, Abraham kicks Isaac's half-brother out of the house. His brother. Genesis 21 kicks him right out of the house, and Isaac watches this. This has got to be traumatic. One day I got my brother, and the next day he's gone. My dad kicked his mother and my brother out of the house, because my mom don't like either one of them. This is some family issues going on here. Especially because in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 22, think of what's going on in Isaac's mind, okay? Stop for just a moment. Genesis 21, he watches his dad kick his half-brother out. In Genesis 22, Abraham is holding a knife over Isaac, You've seen your dad kick out your half brother, and now your dad is holding a knife over you. Now, this was Abraham's test. But Isaac was the one laying on the altar. Just imagine you're just laying up, and here comes a big old thing coming down towards your chest. Imagine this moment. Remember, Isaac was a, a young boy, he's about 12, 13 years old. And he looks at his dad going up the mountain going, hey, dad, um, I see the wood, see the fire. Where's the lamb? And Abraham makes a statement of faith. God will provide the lamb. But Isaac knew something was going on. I mean, something had to hit Isaac when Abraham started binding him with ropes. Just, I mean, stop for just a moment and be Isaac. Sure, dad, you want to tie me up? Great. Let's play a little game. Now we're going to lie you on the altar game. Think of what's going through this 12-year-old's mind. But then Isaac got to see something. Isaac got to hear the voice of God. Abraham. Isaac got to hear that. And then he got to hear his dad say, Jehovah Jireh, when they turned around and surprise, surprise, there's a ram that's caught in the thicket. Isaac got to witness that. Then He got to hear on the mountain of God, there on Mount Moriah, Isaac got to hear God tell Abraham the promise that through his seed, many nations were going to be blessed. Isaac was the seed that he was talking about. Just imagine, one moment you're under the knife, the next moment you're hearing, you're going to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is a 12-year-old kid. Isaac started to realize that the promise was going to be through him. What a profound spiritual moment with a son and his dad. And men, i got to tell you something. When the men's retreat comes around, take your son with you. Let them see you have a moment with God. Because it impacted Isaac's life. But now we move just a little bit further in Genesis chapter 23. And we note in Genesis chapter 23, Sarah dies. So Isaac will now bury his mom. But Genesis chapter 23 introduces us to Genesis chapter 24, where I've asked you to land your plane. Because Abraham's concerned. He's concerned about his son, who is mourning the loss of his mother, Sarah. And Abraham's also concerned about something else. He's also concerned that his son's not married, and he's 40 years old. So Abraham comes up with a plan. He comes up with a plan to help his son to confirm the covenant that God has given. And he sends his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break. Premaritals and maritals, I'm talking to you. Listen carefully. Because Genesis chapter 24 is going to show us something powerful about premarital relationships. So I want to hang out in Genesis chapter 24 because it's one of the greatest chapters about Isaac's spiritual life. Take a look. Genesis 24. Now, Abraham was old, verse 1. Well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, except Isaac doesn't have a wife. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. Now that was a way of shaking hands, like let's shake on it. Let's make a promise that you will not take a wife for my son. Listen, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family, take a wife for and take a wife for my son Isaac. Stop there, if you would, just for a moment. The father goes to the servant to say, find my son a wife. Can I tell you something about your father? God the Father has your best interest at heart. And if you didn't get to marry him, wait till you see who he has for you. He's got your best interest at heart. And can I let you know? Isaac was 40 and the father just started making the plan. Isaac was 40 and God just started making the plan. The father tells the servant listen carefully. Don't you dare get a wife from the Canaanites. Listen, listen, single person, because our Heavenly Father tells us the same thing. Don't you dare be unequally yoked. Don't you go into the Canaanites and find a spouse. This means you probably don't want to find your spouse at the bar. Do you know the best place to hook up? Church. Pastor Chet, are you telling people that they can hook up at church? Better than me telling you hook up at a bar. Because at church, at least you'll find someone that's seeking God. Now, let me explain something here. Abraham says, don't you dare go to the Canaanites. And single person, find a Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian. You know what I love about my wife? She loves Jesus more than me. I like it sometimes. She's very convicting to live with. Find someone that loves Jesus more than you, and you'll be married for the rest of your life. You'll be married for the rest of your life. Genesis chapter 24. Let's see what else the dad says. Verse 5. And the servant said to him, "Mm, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. Don't you go to that bar. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you're released from this oath. Only don't take my son back there. So the servant put his hand on the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. I love this the servant of the Father intercedes on the Son's behalf just as the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf. I love this. And the servant gets guidance from the Father. And he gets the Word of God from the Father because the Spirit will always guide us by the Word. So when you go to the Spirit and you say, Lord, he's the one. He's big, beautiful. He makes a lot of money. He's a provider. I know he's not saved, but he'll get saved. I'll lead him to Jesus. And the Spirit says, be ye not unequally yoked. I don't care how big and beautiful he is. Listen, those biceps will soon drop here and wave. I'm telling you. The Lord speaking tonight. God bless you. <laughs> and Abraham looks at the servant and he says, This, the Lord shall have you find a wife. He speaks faith to the servant. Gang, we've got to trust God at his word. And let me tell you a single person wait on the Lord. Abraham didn't. And he slept with Hagar. And it has caused generational conflict since Ishmael and Isaac were born. Wait on the Lord. Genesis twenty four ten. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were at in his hands. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Stop there with me a moment. The servant like the Spirit, goes with power and strength from the Father with ten camels. Now you might be like, are you serious? Ten camels? You see, ten camels would prove to anyone in Mesopotamia that Abraham had money, that Abraham was well off, that Abraham could take care and pay the dowry of any woman that, in that culture that would go back with him. Let me give you an example. We were on a mission trip in Morocco. And one of my students was engaged to be married to this beautiful, blonde, beautiful, blue-eyed Christian girl. Okay? Moroccan came up to him, older guy, probably about 40. They're in their 20s. Came up to him and said, I have 30 camels to give you for this woman. And he goes, I'm not Selling my wife for 30, my soon-to-be wife for 30 camels. And this guy was serious. He goes, I'll give you 40. And he goes, I'm not taking 40 camels. And then he, as a joke, goes, if you add 10 more, I might consider it. She's sitting right there. And I was like, okay, premarital counseling, you and I. You see, 10 camels were a way to say... There is safety and security with your daughter to come home with me. Abraham can take care. And he goes with this power and this strength. And he goes into Mesopotamia. And the servant, as he goes, he goes, listen, Lord, I want to do what my master is asking me to do. So when I sit at this well, would you have the woman that you want for Isaac to come up and say, let me give you some water and let me water your camels as well. Woman comes on the scene. He's not even done praying yet. Woman comes on the scene. Her name is Rebecca. He doesn't know that yet. She goes, hello, sir. Would you like some water? And he goes, is this the one? Stranger danger? No way. She's talking to me. And then she goes, once you have some water, can I give water to all 10 of your camels. Do you know how much water camels drink? Do you know they go through a desert for days and do not drink because of the amount of water they store in their body? Think how many times she had to go to the well, hours to feed 10 to water 10 camels. For her to go to the well to water each of these camels and the servant just watched. And as he watched, he's pondering is this the one? And then she goes, the last camel, he can't take it anymore. And he takes out a nose ring. I guess that's a big deal at the time. And he puts it in her nose. A little awkward, but it happens. <laughs> Gives her gold and silver and the. <laughs> you guys, I'm just, you can read it. It's right there. I'm not making any of this stuff up. Take me to daddy. And as soon as he gets there, the parents are like, what is going on? And he finds out it's Abraham's kin. The Lord led him right to where he needed to go. Take a look, if you would. Genesis chapter 24, verse 21. Genesis 24, verse 21. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring, here it is, weighing half a shekel. Let me tell you something. She walked around like this wearing that thing. (laughs) That's a big old piece of shekel. It's like, don't blow your nose, you lose a lot of money. Two (laughs) braids. I just got this visual of this huge, like, (laughs) two bracelets for a wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, "'Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge?' She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milca's son, who sheep bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feet, enough to room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head, worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You've got to understand what's happening. He walks across an entire desert over the fertile crescent. He gets to Mesopotamia and he so happens to run into one of Abraham's kin. This is more probability than finding a needle in a haystack. But God. And you're worried about who you're going to marry? But God. Now, let me go back to Isaac because this takes a long time. It takes a little while to walk all the way across the Fertile Crescent into Mesopotamia and then come all the way back. What is Isaac doing? Let's pick it up there in Genesis 24. Listen, guys. Listen, guys. Genesis 24, he's hopping from bar to bar trying to find the right woman for him. That's a lie. Take a look. Genesis chapter 24. We're going to pick it up in verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate. In the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? She's like, whoa. Servant said, it's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Stop there if you would. He was meditating. Now, I know that word has a connotation where maybe you think he's sitting in the field having doing yoga. That's not what's happening. This word meditating means he was communing. He's having his devotions. He's not anxious. He's just waiting on the Lord for what his father has for him. He's just waiting on the Lord. Gentlemen, can I tell you something? Isaac's doing a pretty good job at this point of setting an example. He's waiting on the Lord, and he's seeking God, not a wife. You know what the Bible says? Jesus said it's Jesus speak. Matthew 6:33 said this: seek first the kingdom of God and he'll provide a spouse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, including spouses. He takes care of everything, shall be added to you. Now, there are some who are called to be celibate. God bless you. But if his word is true, in which I believe it is, then wouldn't we be wise to seek him instead of seek a spouse? To seek the God who gives the spouse instead of the gift of the spouse? Isaac's doing a pretty good job. And look what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 24, verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah tent, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He's comforted. The father's will was carried out for Isaac because Isaac trusted his father. And the result... Was comfort. I started this by saying, our Father has your best interests at heart. Trust him and do it his way. But I need to point something out. Because Jewish scholars highlight us to something that we might not read in a Christian commentary. And they indicate something to us about their future marital problems. Take a look, if you would, at verse 65. The servant said, it's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And if you notice, there's no communication between Rebecca and Isaac. There's not a lot of communication, but he takes her into the tent, and there's a lot of love. In it. Now keep that in mind. Just because you start good doesn't mean you finish good. Communication is key to good relationships. And we're going to see in just a moment how either their lack of communication or bad communication fully impacts impacts this whole family. You see, for 20 years, Isaac and Rebecca are not able to get pregnant. So the age of 60... They get married at 40. Isaac goes to the Lord, and he pleads with God for her to get pregnant. And Rebecca gets pregnant. But the pregnancy is rough. Like, there is fighting going on in the womb. This is not like Braxton Hicks. This is like full-on labor pains happening within her. She doesn't have a 4D sonogram to go find out what's going on. So she goes to God. What a novel idea. It's amazing to me how many people run to the doctor instead of to prayer. It's amazing to me. My wife and I were part of a Christian organization called Christian MediShare. And it was an insurance, age, an insurance company for Christians. We were healthier when we were on MediShare because we had hundreds of people praying for us than we were when we went on to Kaiser. Because now when we get sick, no one's praying for us. They just want our money. Let me tell you something. If you're sick, follow what the Bible says. Call the elders of the church to pray for you and anoint you with oil. Maybe do that before you call your doctor. Now, please know, I believe in doctors. I believe in medication. Like, all of that. Don't email me. What I'm trying to get across is... Why not just pray first before you call the doctor? Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, look what God tells her. Genesis 25, verse 23. So the Lord says to her, circle that key, her. Two nations are in your room. Two people shall be born separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older... Shall serve the younger. Did you see that? He told her. That's important because it's up to Rebekah to tell Isaac. And the scripture says she gives birth to twins. Take a look at these twins as they grow up. Genesis chapter 25, Jacob and Esau are born. Verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But, Bere- but Rebecca loved Jacob. Let me tell you why. Isaac loved Esau because he was a man's man. Went to all of his football games, soccer games, track games, or track meets. He went to his swimming matches. Like he went out, he went to, Esau was in every sport. He was this big old burly, hairy guy. It's like, he's a man. And then there was Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy. Jacob loved to cook. He loved to bake. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying that Rebecca really appreciated that about Jacob and just thought Esau was smelly. Okay? It's just what it was. But this is not making a great family dynamic that the Bible is already pointing out that mom loved one more and dad loved one more. That is a family issue. I would not encourage that in your family. I don't think it works. So here's what happens. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, "My son." And he answered, and "said Here I am, Dad." I added the dad part. Then he said, Behold, now I'm old. I do not know. I don't know if Esau couldn't see that, but he has to announce it. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Wait a second. Isaac is to bless Jacob, not Esau, according to what God said. The older shall serve the younger. The blessing was for Jacob. That's what God told Rebekah. Did she not tell him? God told her. Did she just not communicate? Did she tell him and... His feelings, Isaac's feelings for his son Esau got in the way, and he chose to forsake faith, what God said, and go with his feelings. After all, faith comes from the Word of God, and God told Rebekah that Jacob was to receive the blessing, not Esau. The older was to serve the younger. But the Bible, I believe, gives us a hint as to what's going on in Isaac's life. He's blind. And he goes blind at a very a, a relatively early age and he's so surprised that he went blind that he thinks he's going to die he thinks his time is coming to a close now i need to let you know something truth is he doesn't die for another 100 years i mean god lets this guy linger blind for 100 years he doesn't die till he's 180 years old So he thinks he's going to die. And I believe this blindness represents his spiritual blindness. He felt so much for Esau that he chose his feelings over what God said. And he's going to bless Esau no matter what. God told Rebekah that Jacob's to receive the blessing, and Isaac was in love with Esau, and he's about to bless him behind Rebekah's back. Unfortunately, Rebekah hears the whole thing, and fortunately, Rebekah hears the whole thing, and she's already devised a plan. Jacob, go get a goat. Kill it. Bring it. You're going to go serve it to Esau. He's going to know I'm not Esau. I'm not even hairy. Don't worry about it. i got some goat skin here. We're going to put it on you. And I so happen to have some of Esau's clothes. Put them on you. He's going to curse me. If the curse comes, put it on me. You get in there and get that blessing. Jacob goes in. Isaac, can't see. Who is that? It's Esau. Uh, Why do you sound like Jacob? Come here. Cuts him. Ooh, you're a little hairy. You gotta be Esau. Mm, Your clothes smell like bad deodorant. I mean, so you gotta be Esau. He eats the food, tastes like Esau. Bless you. Jacob even calls on the Lord's name and says, By the Lord your God I am Esau. Whoa, Jacob. And God and jacob excuse me isaac blesses jacob jacob leaves no sooner does jacob leave that esau comes walking in look at genesis chapter 27 verse 30 this could this is the best daytime drama you could possibly imagine <laughs> genesis chapter 27 look at verse 30 i mean the scenes are just unbelievable so esau made him a feast uh, excuse me, where am I? Uh, Genesis chapter 27, verse 30. I was in, sorry, verse 26, chapter 26. Um, verse 30, where am I? Now it happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to the father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. His father said, uh, Who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard these words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Please bless me. I added, Please. (laughs) Me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? He supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Actually, Esau, that was your fault. And now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I've made him your master. Look down at verse 40. Look what he says. By sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. Okay, we've got to stop here for just a minute. We, we gotta hang out here for a minute. Esau's upset. Wouldn't you be? He has been preparing for this moment his whole life. The moment that he gets the blessing. That means he gets the physical and the spiritual blessing of the whole family. When Jacob, excuse me, when Isaac dies, Esau's a rich man. He'd already lost his birthright. That's the double portion that was going to be given now to Jacob. But now he can get the blessing and he can be the leader of the home and make all the decisions and take the birthright back. So Esau pleads with his dad. Come on, dad, bless me. I'm your favorite son. You've been to every game. You saw every touchdown. Come on, dad. I've fed you your whole life. And you're Isaac. You would think that Isaac would take back what he told Jacob. I mean, Jacob deceived him anyway. You would think that that Isaac would simply go, yeah, he deceived me. I'm going to take it from him. I'm going to give it to you. After all, Jacob tricked him. Isaac loved Esau more. He's the son of his affection. And there's the son of his affection pleading with him, come on, dad, give me a blessing. I'm the son that hunted for you your whole life. It appears that Isaac was a little bit more interested in his flesh than he was in spiritual things. And it also is very apparent that the relationship that started so great between Isaac and Rebekah ain't so great now. And after all of these years and their failure to communicate, it's now cost their marriage and their family greatly. Isaac doesn't even tell Rebecca. She is to hear it behind the tent. She doesn't, he doesn't even tell her, I'm about to bless. I'm about to do the greatest spiritual thing that you do in your family, and I'm not even going to tell you. Something's gone wrong in this marriage. She had to find out by spying on him. What's Isaac going to do? Isaac doesn't give in to Esau. There he is weeping. But Isaac holds his word despite the family pressure of his favorite weeping son and doesn't give in to him. Doesn't give in. He makes it very clear twice. Jacob is going to be your leader. You won't get the birthright back and you can't have the blessing. What happened? How did Isaac hold on to his word despite the pressure of his son, his family member, that he loved more than anything? His child. How did he hold on? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And here's where we close. Hebrews chapter 11 answers our question. Hebrews chapter 11, would you look at verse 20? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith. Isaac didn't give in to Esau because God's Spirit convicted Isaac at this moment. I told Rebecca, stand by my word. And he chose in this moment to stand by God's word instead of family pressure. God had spoken his word to Rebekah that Jacob was to receive the blessing. And whether Isaac knew and was trying to go around it or whether Isaac didn't know, And he found out after he gave the blessing. We don't know. But we do know because of Hebrews that he became aware of what God told Rebekah and he stood firm on God's word, not his feeling. Can you imagine the heartache of hearing his favored son weeping and yet he stood by the word of God? Can you imagine When push came to shove of his son that has fed him his whole life, he chose to stand on God's word, faith, instead of feeling. And why is this important? Because the first century Jew was facing the same problem. Their loved ones were coming against them, they had gotten saved, and they're there at Christmas dinner. And their Jewish family, they wouldn't be at Christmas dinner, but at Hanukkah, they're there at this celebration and their Jewish family is saying to them, could you just stop being so Christian for a minute? Always got to pray. Always got to do it God's way. Always got to do it the way. The family was giving them pressure. And God is using Isaac's story Stand by the word of God even when you've got pressure from the ones that you love the most. I started this and I said to you, how many of you got family struggles? How many of you are in the midst of an Isaac situation where your family is pleading with you to do something that's not godly? Think of the heartache and the turmoil that Isaac went through. Some of you don't have to think about it because you're experiencing it. You know it. And here's my encouragement to you. Be like Isaac. Choose faith over your feelings. Choose faith. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, family can be one of the most difficult struggles a Christian can face. Because family feels like they can say anything, do anything, and you just got to go with it. Family can hurt because family knows our history. So, Lord, it had to be almost impossible for Isaac not to listen to the pleading of the son that he loved. But by faith, he blessed Jacob. In one spiritual moment of his life, he responded to your spirit. And your spirit gave him the power to do what you were asking him to do. So Lord, I pray for everyone that's listening. That's having family struggles. When their family is mean, let them live by faith and be kind. their family begs them to stop being so Christian, they would choose to go the second mile by faith. The family is asking them to participate in even something illegal. By faith, they would walk in truth. When the family hates Holds resentment. By faith, give us forgiveness. When the family hurts us beyond measure, by faith, let love cover a multitude of sins. We need your spirit to do this. There is no way we can do this without the power of your spirit. Especially with family. You gave Isaac the strength. And if you can do it for Isaac, I know you can do it for us. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If your spouse not communicating to you, not talking to you, by faith, set an example. If your child has run away, it's a prodigal. By faith, when he comes home, run to the door and embrace him. When your aunt hasn't talked to you in 10 years, she calls you and she said, I'm dying, and I want to apologize. By faith, get to the hospital. Tell her you love her. Family can be the hardest thing for us to minister to. By faith, Isaac did it. So can you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. And by faith, commit your family struggle to the Lord. Use Isaac as your example. Choose to do what the Lord is calling you to do. Not what you feel you want to do. By faith. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message.